this is your first time joining us. Together we are watching AMC's Mad Men and trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bob? This week, we're discussing Season 4, Episode 2, Christmas Comes But Once a Year, written by Matthew Weiner and directed by Phil Abraham. This episode originally aired on August 1st, 2010. The hit movies that week. The number one movie was last week's number one as well, uh, Christopher Nolan's Inception. The number two movie is a new movie at the box office this week, and that is Dinner for Schmucks. And the number three movie was last week's number two, and that is Salt. That's Angelina Jolie, right? Correct. I believe so. I think I've, is that the one where the bullet goes crooked? No, that's Wanted. Oh, okay. For sure. So the hit song this week is the, uh, the Gen X Hated. Love the way you lie, Eminem featuring Rihanna, <laughs> which I had totally forgotten existed until I did the show notes. Oh, I remembered it existed when all of the little children wanted to cancel Eminem, and there was a whole thing on TikTok like, "Oh, how dare you try to cancel Eminem?" And I'm just like, "Well, personally, I don't feel like Eminem's music has been relevant in like ten years, so you can go ahead and take him." <laughs> um, yeah. So this week on Mad Men, it's the holiday season full of Christmas tree shopping, impromptu Christmas parties, alcohol, and well, yes, even sex. Even sex. It's pretty much Mad Men in a nutshell. Well, we're back after some scheduling challenges. We're ready, kind of, to dive back into the Christmas tree shopping, the parties, the alcohol, and yes, even the sex. Sadly, Annie couldn't be here this week, but we're looking forward to having Annie back next time. Yeah. So, uh, I liked this episode. Fine. So much happened. <laughs> there was but a lot. So much. So much happens in the episode. Um, I don't, I don't love it. Um, and I feel like I'm getting really good at, uh, being able to tell if Matthew Weiner wrote an episode by himself. Maybe that's just this time because in my note, in my watch notes, I had like, at one point, is this written by Weiner? And guess what? It is. Uh. So what what is it then you think that like you've keyed into to be able to tell it's a a sole Matthew Weiner written episode or he's the sole credited author? I think that he has like really good ideas um, for like thematic elements in these episodes, and I think that when he is alone in writing them, that the writing becomes becomes like kind of clunky around those themes. And I have two examples of Perfect. this idea. So do you want me... Okay. Do you want me to save them for their proper sections, or do you want me to tell you them both now? Well, why don't we... We can talk about them now. I mean, it, it's just the two of us today, so like we can okay. probably bounce around a bit easier. Sure. So the uh, one of the... I can't remember what order they happen in the episode, but anyway. So one of the things is... Um, when Freddie is talking to Peggy about her relationship and she's like, well, don't let him, don't keep him waiting too long. You know, that's really uncomfortable. And I was like, is this man really talking to Peggy about fucking blue balls right now? Like, goodbye. Please fuck <laughs> off. Is this written by Weiner? That is like verbatim the transcripts of my notes. <laughs> so that part, because it's like, I get it. I get how that works thematically because peggy's not really sure what to do in her relationship at the moment and she's talking about it with freddie who she calls out for being old-fashioned and so like uh this idea 
that it's like Peggy's responsibility to make sure that Mark's like needs are met and that's more important than her own feelings towards this relationship like that's a super old-fashioned idea and talking about it in terms of like um being I don't even want to say being unsatisfied just like not having sex as being like actually uncomfortable and like that that should be a concern of Peggy's is just like so that's just like that in my opinion that's just like a clunky way to continue this theme of Freddie being old-fashioned and Peggy taking advice from that instead of you know kind of making her own way right and I still think even within you know the the confines of Peggy being less old-fashioned and like you know engaging in in premarital sex or, or just like a un, unwed sex whatever premarital sex whatever you want to call it but even then like as you say putting kind of freddie putting mark's needs ahead of that still comes from this really kind of patriarchal place so even though like freddie's probably feeling like oh i wouldn't do this i'm like as peggy puts it old-fashioned but if you're gonna if you're gonna do it don't lead them on just you know let him have sex with you like you know yeah it just it's gross it's icky mm-hmm. it's icky mm-hmm and we'd already gotten to the understanding of like that part of the theme of the episode without Freddie like <laughs> adding that comment, you know, about like sexual gratification. Um, but I do think I'm just gonna take us right into the Peggy conversation sure, yeah. since we're here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think that it's interesting um, that Mark is a young man. But he, along with Freddie, is also trying to, like, pin Peggy into this, like, perfect size 1960s, you know, 1960-whatever year we're in. Like, they're trying to fit her into, like, um, the image I have in my head is, like, a paper doll. Like, they have dresses that they want her to wear, and they are cutting her shape to fit them. Right. Because, oh, my God, Mark, I just, ugh, I brought you cookies, um, okay? (laughs) You... You better have one if you're trying to get something sweet tonight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yeah. And, like, she's, like, allowing him to believe that she is a virgin, which is kind of funny. But it's not supposed to be funny. <laughs> like, I, like, I laughed when he was like, oh, I want to be your first. And I think that I laughed because I thought, like, I, I was just kind of chuckling, like, oh, Peggy, I mean, you're hanging out with this poor hapless boy. You're not even interested in, like, telling him anything about yourself. And, like, I think that that is fine. And I think that that just highlights how uh, old Mark is also – I mean, it's not old-fashioned. It's just, like, Mark is just, like, you know, also fitting into his exact correct spot in, you know, the patriarchy or however we want to say it. Um But by the end of the episode, it's, like, not funny. By the end of the episode, it's, like, I feel almost, like, I don't know. I don't want to put, I don't want to put assumptions on, like, Peggy's thoughts and feelings. But, like, I'm hoping that Peggy's not doing that. I'm hoping that Peggy didn't decide to sleep with him because of what Freddie said. um, And to try to fit herself into this, like, idea. You know what I mean? I right. just can't. I don't. I don't see it as like something that she decided to do because it's something she really wanted to do. Because Mark is not interesting. He's not funny. He's not that cute. He looks toy size when he stands next to Don and Roger, or whoever. <laughs> like, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what about this? What if? What if? 
what Freddie said to Peggy did influence her decision, but it wasn't centered in patriarchy like the way Freddie centered it or the ways that like even Mark was centering it when he brings over the cookies and like he thinks that Mark thinks there's a different kind of power dynamic in terms of like experience and things like that in their relationship. What if Peggy chooses to have sex with Mark because she has needs and because like she's she's not sure whether she wants to, you know, continue with Mark. She's unsure about him. She doesn't want to hurt him because he is a little bit of a sweet summer child kind of situation. But then Freddie's like, well, you have needs. Don't lead him on. And it's like, she's like, you know what? It doesn't have to be forever. I'll just like, you know, try it out or try it. That sounds so bad. I'll like, well, that's I need, I want sex too. too. And like, it, like that's okay. And like, maybe this can be temporary and not what Mark thinks it is, but it's what, Peggy wants in that moment. I don't know. I don't know if the episode. I would like that. I would like that way more. It just. I don't think it feels that way. Just like right. based on how it's presented in the episode. But then again, like, I don't know if I necessarily like. I, Mad Men is a great show. We say it all the time. Like, it, good show is good, and we love it a lot. I just don't know if this is a show um, that I trust to accurately show me Peggy's feelings in this moment. <laughs> Right. Because I don't think that the creators of the show would understand Peggy's feelings in this moment. <laughs> Cuz like she has that like and it, and admittedly because of the aforementioned scheduling issues it's been a a couple of days since I last watched the episode. Um but when the camera's kind of pulling back after they've they've slept together and they're kind of like, you know, she's like kind of nuzzled into him to mark on the bed or whatever. She kind of has like this look on her face that I think you can read some of those layers. And it's, again, I totally agree with you. It's, it's Moss's performance. It's probably not necessarily Weiner's writing um, where there is a little bit more kind of, at least my read into it wasn't kind of my, at least my read into it was more kind of this, this knowing kind of contentment, mm-hmm. but, but I, I hear you about, about the writing. And I like and- that. I like that much more. I think that I am just, personally um like kind of bristling up against this the part where he says like i want to be your first and then she just lets him believe that i think it just kind of i think just for me personally that's uncomfortable for me to try to put myself in that position where there's an incorrect assumption about me and it creates a power dynamic and then enforcing that power dynamic, like even if she's doing it to satisfy her own needs, she's still allowing him to believe that he occupies a place in her life that he doesn't. And just for me personally, that makes me uncomfortable. And so obviously Peggy must also be uncomfortable because everyone is exactly like me. (laughs) No. And and I think that, that you raise a, you raise a good point too, because when we're talking about, um not just consent but like enthusiastic consent and it's kind of any kind of like you know the physical space or the personal space of another human being um you don't of course always have to like share everything about yourself and things like that but like even from like a um safety perspective Mm -hmm. you know in terms of health from like a health like a health safety perspective um that conversation about 
previous partners or current partners and things like that. I think that that's an important step to kind of have. And again, we're, we're coming at this through the, the 2021 lens, not the, the December 1964 lens where I'm sure we're the, coming at it from the Swedish perspective. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The Swedish <laughs> you perspective. Can sleep with everybody on a first date just to see. <laughs> Just for a second, just see how it feels. <laughs> um, but no, so like, and I think too, like in, in looking that kind of back, like I can understand the complex feelings that Peggy's have kind of with Mark in, in general and the type of person he is. And he very much reads to me as like the type of boy that Peggy's mother would want her to date. Oh God. Right? Like, like everything he knows about the world, he read in an article and yet he's running around pretending like every woman that he meets who he hasn't slept with yet has never slept with anyone. He just like, Oh, Mark. Oh, that's grow such, up. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's such like, that's such like a stereotype though. Or not even just like the reading books and like things like that, but it's like, they're like, I've had it before and I can be your person. It is so special. And they do it in Sweden. Like, and it's the ways in which like, again, largely cis men in, well, in any kind of relationship, but specifically we see it a lot in heterosexual relationships because we live in a heteronormative society, um, erode consent, right? And it's like there there are multiple kind of layers and things going on here, but uh, I don't know. I'm just going to chalk it up to I don't think Peggy and Mark are right for each other, and I don't think Mark has all the information. Not that Peggy's, you know, obligated to disclose her whole history, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah awkward feelings all around watching this one (laughs) yeah and peggy is so good at being very direct about her feelings and her needs um and so i would hate to see her be in like a long-term relationship where she's not comfortable doing that or I don't know. I don't I don't want to I don't want to make her do it if she doesn't want to. So like maybe this is what she wants. But it's like this is my name is Peggy Olson and I would like to smoke some marijuana. Like this is give me an office. Peggy. This is your old fashioned Peggy. Like I want her to be able to tell men like you are not my first, not my best. It's fine. We're just going to do whatever we're doing. and We'll figure it out later. Like I just would rather that for her. I would rather that for all of us. Totally. And I, and I think they're like talking about the divisions between kind of personal life and like work life. Um, that's a really interesting distinction because we have seen Peggy kind of stepping into that, that, that power and stepping into her power that way. Like even with Dawn at the end of last season and, and, you know, things like this and kind of standing up to him, I believe last, last episode again, apologies. My, my, my timelines might be a little bit mixed cause it's been a minute since we recorded. Um, yeah, so still kind of radiating for waiting for that to kind of radiate and, and kind of punch through kind of like mm-hmm. holistically, right? Yeah, that's what I, I would love that. Okay. And it was nice. It's interesting. Uh, Freddie Freddy was obviously back. He's sober now, brings the pawns cold clean, the client that they're working on together and doesn't seem to be like playing second fiddle to Betty too. So I'm sure that that whole year old fashioned discussion fits I into. I just don't even think. I don't think he even realized that he was playing second fiddle to Peggy. Yeah. Like he just assumed that he was in charge between them. And I loved when, um, when she made that comment to him, like I've thought about 
I've brought up your name a hundred times to come freelance for me. Like yeah. I've tried to get you back in this door and you get back in here and you are going to be a dick to me. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to undermine my work. <laughs> like, well, it, it just goes back to the paper doll thing. Like you were mentioning before. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, did we want to jump back kind of really briefly to the Francis Draper Christmas tree buying extravaganza oh, yes, yes, before we dive yes. into Dawn and the Christmas party and all of that stuff. Um, yeah. So, uh, remember Glenn? Oh well, my God. Well, he's back and even creepier than ever. Even creepier than ever. And let's remember that Glenn is played by Matthew Weiner's son. Oh my God. I had totally forgotten about that, actually. I'm glad you said that. Oh my God. Why would they? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, he's a spooky little weirdo. Like, I just, this isn't a Glenn problem. This is like a product of like the times and of the obsession with like the nuclear family. But it just sucks when he's like, oh, I saw your new dad. And it's like, dads don't get replaced. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of different types of members of, like, your family unit. They don't all have to be dads if they're the man. (laughs) Like, Uh, oh, it's just like, God, that sucks. (laughs) Like, because, I mean, these kids, it's a wonder we're all here. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so Glenn's angry. He's seemingly like, I think he's angry at Betty. Is he angry about his mom's new ma- new marriage and his replacement ja- dad? Um, he seems to definitely move his fixation on from Betty to Sally. Does he want to save her? Like, what's Melissa? What do you think's going on with Glenn? I honestly don't know. Like, I thought like, <clears throat> I thought that maybe he was like doing this to, like, move up the draper francis like timeline like oh one day they'll want to move right but like i don't understand why i guess because sally said i guess he is saving her right because sally said you know she keeps feeling like she's gonna see her dad and so glenn is like well if i trash your house they won't want to live here and then sally will get to move and she won't have to feel that way um therapy well and then is that, is that then this do you think that's in the same pattern of like where you like wants to because we talked a lot about like knights and cowboys and stuff mm-hmm. like that in the first season right so it's like it's almost like it's the same thing with like with mark a bit too right where it is kind of this like knight in shining armor kind of saving it's okay kind of like claiming this power f- from like the male character claiming this power assuming this power mm-hmm over the female character and kind of like a relationship. And I mean, we see that again with Don later this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just leaving the braid from the knife that he had at work that they commented on earlier when they went into each other on her pillow after untouching her room while he and his buddies trashed the whole house. That's like some straight up psycho shit. I'm sorry. Absolutely That's psycho just shit. like, like you're going to end up on Hannibal or something. Yeah, I don't know. This is not a good influence. For Sally. I already worry about her. Yeah. Yeah. There are like two characters that just really stick out to me as like like young girl characters specifically in, in media and literature that I always wonder how they turned out. One of them is Sally Draper and the other is mm-hmm. Pamela Buchanan, Daisy and Tom's daughter from the Great Gatsby. Oh god. Yes. <laughs> like how did you how did you how did you turn out? How did you turn out? What did you grow into? Um I'm worried about you. But yeah. 
I mean, we do get to see Henry Francis be like big, tough man of the house. Like, don't we do? Don't go. I'll go. I'll take care of this. But but even like when he's doing it, he's not even like he ha- just the and the way like there's like in the line delivery or something where like it has that power to it, but it doesn't have some of those same like layers of toxicity it's just really calming and reassuring mm-hmm. at the same time you know so it's not like like if pete did it it would all be like puffing out his chest and like <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> right whatever but uh yeah no I, that, that would be really unnerving to come home to that but uh yeah shout out it to- would be unnerving to come home to just straight up glenn too so like all he had to do was just stick around <laughs> probably could have accomplished the same thing and he had a little friend with him, like, no supervision on the block at all. Yeah. Guess well, not. I guess he's old enough to have a job, so he's old enough to run around and do whatever he wants. Does he still live up? Oh, no, they probably moved, hey, because he talked about them wanting to move. So he probably doesn't live down the street from them anymore. It's in the same yeah. town. Yeah, okay. I agree. Okay. I thought that, too, because I was like, why would he want them to move? Because wouldn't he want to be her neighbor? But then I was like, oh, he knows all about what happens when you get a new dad and they have a baby and they want to move. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, to transition, I think, into Don, um, he doesn't hate Christmas. He just hates this particular Christmas. It's totally like divorced dad energy. It's a shitty Christmas. Yeah. It really is. It really is. I want to feel bad for him, but he makes it so hard. Dude. <clears throat> he is driving the struggle bus. <laughs> down Struggle Street. Up and yeah. Up down, a hill on Struggle Street. <laughs> down Struggle Street. Yeah, correct. Um, it's sad and messy. So I don't even know where to start. Where to begin. Well, I guess then let's talk about let's jump back to kind of the the Christmas party stuff, because that's kind of the thread throughout all of the Dawn stuff. So I guess the good place to start would just be to say, fuck Lee Garner Jr. Dude, I hate this guy. He gets to come back and be a prick at the Christmas party, and Sal never gets to come back. Life just isn't fair. It is absolute fucking bullshit. Like, and in at the Christmas party... They don't have a Santa. Um, well, because Freddie doesn't come because he knows that there's going to be liquor there and he's sober now. Yeah, which I love that for Freddie. So you get half a point. Um, but Pete is like, oh, I'll do it. And Lee Gardner Jr. makes Roger do it. And this is one of those things that it just feels like. Un- I it, I get it. It's funny. We love to see Roger suffer. But on the other hand, it like the fact that it's Lee Gardner Jr. again trying to force someone into doing something that they do not want to do and is un- are uncomfortable doing, like, takes the fun out of Roger's suffering. Yeah. And then, like, while Roger's being Santa, he, like, puts his arm around his wife, Jane, and, like, has, like, pulls her, like, close to him. Like, the dude fucking sucks. <laughs> he sucks. Yep. Yeah, he does. The it's... one benefit, the one real true benefit of putting him back in this episode is that it creates a Christmas party emergency. And if you have a party emergency, you should definitely call Joan immediately. (laughs) Totally. 
She's amazing. And she looked good in that nice little red dress that apparently has been playing through Roger's mind that makes her look like Yeah, a why do you think she wore it? Why do you think she wore it? I don't know. Drama? Well, and like remember too that they like they like, her husband joined the army and she needs attention. Um, that sounds worse than I mean it because I also do shit because I want or need attention. So I mean this with all the love in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be interesting because, like, again, like the reason kind of Joan came back into the orbit of Sterling Cooper Draper Price was her calling Roger around the time of the wedding and looking for a job and him putting out feelers and then knowing to kind mm-hmm. of call her and bring her back. So obviously they still have that connection and it hasn't. It hasn't dwindled over the the last kind of year since we we last saw them at the end of 1963. So, yeah. I mean, it's a great dress. It's a great dress. But, uh, yeah, obviously there's still an implied intimacy there. Now, I don't know if it's Mm necessarily – I don't think they're necessarily having an affair again or anything else like that. But there's there's a level of intimacy there. If Um, I liked Roger more – I would probably be very into their like very subtle friendship. Yeah. Because I like it as a concept. These like two people who had an affair ended up, you know, not pursuing something more long term, but are still kind of ride or die for each other. Like, I really like that, but I hate Roger. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, like one of my, I feel like we've probably talked about it before, but, like, one of my favorite kind of, like, tropes, and it's not totally one-to-one to the, like, Roger and Joan situation, but I feel like the Roger and Joan situation is adjacent, where it's, like, the relationship that doesn't end up working out, but you're kind of, like, forever changed by it and have that kind of, like, shared intimacy. Like, whether it's, like, the Fleabag Season 2 thing or, like, even, like, La La Land being kind of, like, recent examples, you know what I mean? And it, it's kind of, like, it's not that, but it's, like, a version of that where they still have kind of that that level of of intimacy and interest and whether it kind of comes to the surface or doesn't it's kind of within right right now and who knows what's going to happen in in the future if it kind of leads to to further ruin or further successes or, or whatever but uh like you say it's it's fun to engage with right now but roger kind of has a tendency to open his mouth and ruin things for me as as, as a viewer yeah ah. I agree. Um, okay. So I think for the rest of the Dawn stuff, we should just go through and talk about the women in order. <laughs> okay. But first things first, can we get a fuck Dawn in the chat? Yeah, we can definitely get a fuck Dawn in the chat. Keep your hands to yourself, my dude. All right. So the first of the scene partners kind of in the Don Don's arc through the episode is Phoebe, the nurse slash neighbor who we, we got a got kind of a, a glimpses glimpse at last week. Don comes home drunk, can't get his keys in the door. She's coming home and she helps him out and gets him to bed and gets them all, all settled. Melissa, what did we think of Phoebe? I really, really like her. I think that she has a really fun vibe. Um, I also love the fact that she is just straight up perceiving Don (laughs) exactly how he is. Like, she's like, I know you've noticed me. And then she's like, don't worry about it. We're all good. My dad was a drunk. 
you are a drunk dad. Get your shit together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like, and drunk Dawn gets really handsy and like she like handles it well, but like that shouldn't have been a position she was in, and like even drunk Dawn should should know better. And I think again, it's it's like we were talking about before. He's spiraling. He's avoiding. He's like not in control and not that like don is really respectful of boundaries at all times but like don in the past is a pretty good reader of situations and like he wouldn't i don't think that something in the don not spiraling you know would necessarily have done or misread at least as Mm -hmm. quickly i don't know what do you think I kind of find it hard to believe that Don would find himself in this position right. if he was in control. Like Don drinks that we know that Don drinks, but Don doesn't normally drink to the point where he needs care like this. Right. This is a level of like vulnerability that I do not think that Don Draper, Dick Whitman would put himself in intentionally. Right. If he um, could help it. Right. I like I almost don't want to say like if he could help it because like we can all kind of help it, but when you are spiraling and when you are not in control, that is when things happen. Like that's when things go too far. This isn't like behavior that's completely out of the question for Don's lifestyle. It's just like something he normally wouldn't let himself get to. So it's like, yeah, we can really, really see the cracks of his control here. Right. Right. So you made the really stupid point that Phoebe's really good at perceiving and she perceives Don. Um, we talked again about Don kind of spiraling, not being in control. Uh, Sterling Cooper Draper Price is brought in this other firm to do kind of psychological kind of research and, you know, push them kind of over the edge. One of Bert's old friends and his, his company are now kind of the psychology consultants. Um, the science behind buying and wants and need and convincing people to, you know, they say one thing, but they actually want the other. And kind of, like I said, diving into the, the science to how to how to buy that candy pink stove. Um, mm-hmm. During their initial presentation to the partners, there is a questionnaire for them to fill out to help them understand what, what their their as psychological psychology consultants what they kind of do don refuses to fill out the questionnaire and walks out um bert's friends whose name i don't remember doesn't matter is flanked by a colleague named faye melissa what are your thoughts on faye oh i really love her and i really liked <clears throat> This is this is just a this is non-serious. This is just a I can't think of the term I'm trying to use. This is just like a a cheeky little thing I want to make sure is in the episode. I really loved just personally when Don was like, "Oh, I'm disappointed. I thought you came in to flirt, but you came in to fight." And I'm just like, "Why not both?" <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um I really really loved mostly because she's super confident in her work and I think that she's like really funny because I when Harry was like what happens if we don't do the test she's like well you're a psychopath and (laughs) and then then Harry's got like he's covering his questionnaire like it's like a test so no one can cheat off and perceive him (laughs) yeah nobody wants to be perceived listen lady get out of here Faye (laughs) 
Um, no, but she's really confident in her work too. She, when Don says, oh, that's true. She's like, I know it's true. And you would know that too, if you would have stayed for my presentation. And she says that like, she finds his work interesting and she had hoped that he had found hers interesting. And I just love that she, um, to reuse this term again in this episode, like she perceives herself as she should as being on equal playing ground with Don. And I don't think that that normally happens to him. And so therefore I love it. Yeah. Um, this is another, this is that other moment that I said that I felt that like the writing was clunky. Um, which is when she, her parting shot, when they leave this conversation, when she says, Oh, I forget that people don't want to believe that they're a type. And it's like, um, that's clunky. Like we we got it. We understood that you pegged on as a type and we can see him being uncomfortable about it. And because of your job, I know that you do this all the time. Like I kind of think that they maybe wanted that line in there to be a callback because I did think about this to that first time that Peggy works on copy and she says the thing about the Belgioli lipstick and she says something to the effect of women don't want to be just one of you know a color in a box or whatever so it's like i kind of get that parallel from this line i just like you didn't have to say it we got it like let your show say the things like she didn't have to say that she i just don't think that a human person would actually say that to somebody i i hear you but i like i think too when you're talking about her being a psychologist and kind of classifying it and she says something that like don that like it's it's really like, like it is a punctuation point i think it's intended that way because i'm paraphrasing now but it's something like that. i know this christmas is hard but you know you'll you'll go back to your old life or you'll have a a partner or, or something like that by next year and then he's like kind of scoffs at her and then she like kind of really hits him with that line um i think she like she is like typing him and like it is I think she knows like exactly what she's doing when she says it. I think, I think she's purposely being kind of provocative and combative, combative in, in that situation. Yes, because she's annoyed about the the present Don's giving on the presentation, but I think she's really trying to make her point known. So even if it like comes off as a little bit unnatural, I don't think it would be completely out of the realm of possibilities for a psychologist um, who's maybe trying to make a provocative point, you know, to come at things from a different angle with a, and whether space should be doing this with Don in a, in a work context versus like with a client or I guess she is his client, but like, or he is her client, but you know what I mean? Whether that's ethical or not, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think she knows what she's doing and I can, I can see a therapist or a psychologist like, phrasing something that way to kind of really ham home the point to kind of like crack someone open for whatever reason yeah i can see that yeah so now we just have to talk about allison yeah so to set this who kind of looks like anna camp a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> to to set this scene a bit so allison is a, is of course don's um admin assistant and episode starts. Don's giving her the list to do the Christmas shopping for the kids, what they want. It's this really cute scene back and forth. 
Um, she reads Sally's letter to Santa, sent to Santa care of Don Draper, and goes out to get the presents, etc., etc. At this point, Lee Garner isn't coming mm-hmm. to the Christmas party yet, so there's going to be one. And Don's like, no matter what, Allison, you do good work. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you. I will give you a Christmas bonus. Fast forward to the Christmas party. Don's drunk again. Leaves his keys at the office, and Allison is on the floor looking for the keys as the Christmas party winds down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it's the guy's name's Joey, right? Uh, the little copyright part-timer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he calls Don pathetic when Allison is, like, getting his keys because she's supposed to be going out with them. And I'm like, okay, that's true, but you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> Only we can say that on Still Grape Up. <laughs> Listeners, you can you can say it as well. You're you're, you're part of the, the Still Grape Bob family. You're allowed to say it too. Just Joey's not. Joey's not allowed to say it. <laughs> why isn't Why isn't Joey? Yeah, I don't know why I felt momentarily defensive over that because I don't want other people to be mean to Don. Only we can say it. He's like our little sister. Oh, there we go. Fair enough. Is there a little, <laughs> little sister? Do, 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 the do, 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 do. Okay. All right. Well, Don definitely um doesn't make it easy, and I do think I do agree with Joey, even though he shouldn't say it. Maybe, but it's true. Um, <laughs> Allison brings the keys home, and we basically have a redux of the scene with with Phoebe earlier except there is a even more distinct power imbalance Mm -hmm. in this situation, whereas Don is her boss and Don pulls Allison onto his lap as she's trying to get Yeah, he's like a fucking black hole. Any women, any women, any woman that is like close within his arm's reach, he's going to try to pull her into his lap. Don. Dick, get it together, man. Yep. And they sleep together. They have sex. He kind of is avoiding Allison a little bit the next morning. She's clearly out of sorts. Um, and Don, when he finally talks to her, he... um. She clearly wants to talk about what happened, and uh, he's just going to pretend it didn't happen. Yep. Thank you for bringing me my keys. And then he gives her her Christmas bonus, which is really nice and thoughtful. But, like, after the fact that they had sex, the whole interaction, the fact that there is money involved, literally makes me want to cringe out of existence. Yeah. Sink my neck and head into my shoulders so deeply that I never come out. <laughs> it's really bad. I wish it didn't happen. I really wish it didn't happen at all. I wish if it had to happen, I wish Don could act like a fucking grown up for one time ever. Yeah, and I and I think that's I think all that Allison is looking for at this point cuz again like yeah. It's, I'm it's, sure Allison yeah. is quite able to perceive Don as well. I mean, she works for the man. He, yeah. and it's not like he's been doing great. Yeah. Since the Sterling Cooper Draper Price scenario. Yeah. Um, 
especially because like when they are about to have sex like i think she doesn't it's not like she says no but she does make comments that like she's overwhelmed yeah like at one point i think she says like i feel dizzy um yeah so i am not saying that i think don took advantage of her i just think don and everyone and mostly don need to be like really aware of people's like mm, words are not good for me today um there's a power imbalance there like there's a power imbalance and there's like she i mean she was obviously working through it while they were getting into it which is an okay thing that happens but it's like if she says like oh i feel dizzy like obviously she's overwhelmed so it's like that is the point in time where you can be like oh are you sure you want to do this oh is this okay for you oh here's what i have to offer you emotionally it's not much like any of those things but the fact that he doesn't do it before is awful. The fact that he gives her fucking a Christmas bonus and doesn't even mention it the next day is inconscionable. I don't even think I'm saying that right. Yeah. Unconscionable? Indefensible? Cringe as fuck. Cringe as fuck. Cringe. Cringe as fuck. And like so much of this episode, it's like we talk about like, you know, like the things with Lee Garner Jr. about kind of the power imbalance that exists between him and the agency, right? Where Lucky mm-hmm. Strike can literally turn off the lights of Sterling Cooper, Draper Price. Mm-hmm. So they have to go through all this rigmarole to, you know, look successful and keep up appearances. And the way Lee Garner Jr. ostensibly like humiliates Roger is what Don does to Allison. Except worse, because it's sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really ugly behavior. Like, Don, you need to pull yourself together. And it's just like, how many other lives is Don Draper slash Dick Whitman, whomever, going to maybe not destroy, but Mm. negatively impact because i don't want to say destroy because that you know people are resilient and and everything else right but how many lives is he going to leave in disarray as he kind of further goes down this downward spiral right yeah it's it's a scary uh, thought it's not a thing i want to watch yeah exactly but (laughs) go ahead we'll see we gotta stop talking about don last the problem is see the reason that i agree (laughs) <laughs> but at the same, I, I like I hear you. But at the same time, I just then worry that we're going to spend the whole episode talking about Don because he does yeah, get no. the bulk of the episode. Yeah, like, you know what and I mean. And I totally agree. I don't really want to stop talking about Don less. I just feel like Don causes us the most size. <laughs> yeah. And it yeah. kind of it's like a it's kind of a weird energy to close the episode on, um, especially because we really do like the show, but like. We don't have to like Don Draper <laughs> and everything that he does. Yeah. Because he certainly is pathetic and he's problematic and he causes harm to people. And I'm allowed to say that. And Joey's not. <laughs> Joey's <laughs> not. Yeah. There was some good, like, I really do enjoy 
a lot of the kind of like because like harry crane rich summer isn't in the show a lot anymore like he's he's definitely like like that kind of feature in the background in a lot of like the scenes or whatever mm-hmm. we haven't really had a had a, <clears throat> a harry crane episode in a while which like some of the bits that he does like even at the christmas party or like we talked about before where you know the if you don't fill it out you're a psychopath and he's all like nervous and neurotic or whatever that is it is kind of fun to watch um and yeah not a lot of pete this week definitely like some pete kind of trying to do some some people pleasing good account stuff but uh not a lot of pete which probably means we're in for more pete soon (laughs) tends to be how it goes oh boy (laughs) yeah all right bits and bobs bits and bobs bits and bobs (laughs) where is ken I don't know. I guess at uh, McCann Erickson still. Ugh. All right. Ken watch 2021. (laughs) (laughs) The title of the episode Christmas Comes But Once a Year is the title of an original Stan Freeberg song from 1958 that actually mocks the advertising industry, which in turn took a title from a 1936 animated short. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then Pond's Cold Cream, which was the account that Freddie brings in from him, is a real-life product that's made by Unilever. The product placement in this episode was not actually intended to promote Pond's itself, but was actually an intended tie-in for a commercial with Dove Soap, another Unilever product, or Unilever, I don't know how you say that properly. And this commercial featured actors reminiscent of the characters from Mad Men and rendering the commercial break of the episode's original screening. And they had a deal during production of season four and they had six different products and six different commercial spots that they aired when mad men first aired in season four so the levels of meta going on there that the show about advertising has product placement in the show for products is uh i mean product placement happens all the time in like movies and tv but there's so many levels there's so many levels there yeah that's pretty wild good for capitalism (laughs) yeah yay capitalism <laughs> and then my final kind of bitten bob was during the christmas party bert and his buddy who works with faye are sitting on the couch plotting the end of civilization because the civil rights act of 1964 was enacted in july of that year by the lyndon b johnson administration who was then re-elected in his own right in november of 1964 because back in july of 64 he would have been serving the rest of kennedy's term who died the year before so thank you for coming to bits and bobs dude that line about the civil rights act is so fucking gross it it actively pissed me off because they after they, they say slippery they say civil rights is a slippery slope and then she says or he or whoever says it says if they pass health care they won't stop until there's no personal property jesus christ that has never one time been true and we still don't have fucking health care in this country yep yep I, anyway thanks for coming to bits and bobs <laughs> no it's it's just really interesting like Bert. i mean a lot of the characters in the show are frustrating but like i don't know like just Bert is like the ways he's like the kindly quirky old man who actually like you know is a randian and like mm-hmm. is like the worst of like the gop mm-hmm. is like Mm-hmm. something we probably don't talk about enough because he's just kind of coloring the episodes a little bit and you know what i mean but uh yeah it's frustrating it's and like that people still talk like that now and like that's like 
It's the same talking points, and that's what frustrates me. Anyways, yeah, fits and pops. Where, where, where? <laughs> <laughs> Annie, we miss desk. you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Melissa, until next time, where can people find more of you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow um, or co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. We just recently covered the Netflix movie Woman in the Window. Uh, yeah. Great. And you can find me on Twitter at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me on my other podcast with friend of the show Elise. We are watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It is called the pod race p-o-d-w-r-a-i-t-h-h you can also email us at still great bob together at still great bob at gmail.com or follow the show on twitter at at still great pod as always please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice and thank you to dj empirical for our very groovy theme song yeah bye annie come back <laughs> There's, there's the little devil on my shoulder that wants to get into Eminem Machine Gun Kelly discourse right now, but this is a, this is a Mad Men podcast, so maybe we should. <laughs>